Hello and welcome back to Punks on the Pitch podcast. Uh, we've been, well, I've been away for a week. I decided to to take a holiday during 2020. Who would have fucking thought of it? But hey ho, um, football doesn't stop, so obviously we don't stop. Um, I'm, as always, joined by a lovely, lovely guest. And once again, I'm sorry, everyone, but he's a Portsmouth fan like me, so you're going to have lots of lots of Pompey chat. Uh, he is co-host of the Got Got Need podcast, and he's also just a wonderful, wonderful man. Chris Robinson. Chris, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. What a delightful introduction. Thank you. Oh, I try my best. I try my best. But yeah, um, I'm going to go Got Got Need straight off the top because you guys are coming back next week. So we are. Yeah. For, for people who don't know... Give give your elevator pitch. What what's the podcast all about? Got Got Need is uh, a World Cup podcast. Uh, we dig into the highs and lows and controversial moments and big players and shit houses um, of ninety years of the FIFA World Cup. Um, you know, our first season we did over the the summer, and we did everything from you know Italia ninety all the way back to the very first World Cup and. Uh, as you mentioned, season two starts on the second of November. Um, yeah, a bit of a, an exclusive for you. I can um, reveal that we are starting the season by looking at the Uruguay Ghana game, the um, Luis Suarez handball game. Oh, okay, nice. So that's how we're kicking off the season. Cool. Yeah, and for for people that aren't aware of the show, like the guys, so it's Chris and and Liam Baxter. They go into like really cool like in-depth detail and like it's research that i'm admirable of like i i try and do my research of things but the depth that you guys go into is really cool and i think the the episode you get like so to give my promo the episode you did on on zambia that was that was top top class for me yeah yeah no thank you yeah it's um it was a lot of a lot of research and a lot of um a lot of time and sort of love that went into that particular episode and you know Liam and I approach it from from sort of very different um aspects you know I'm I'm more sort of um digging into the the figures and numbers and and Liam looks at a lot of the sort of like cultural stuff around what's going on as well so it's a Mm. it's a a good bit of interplay and uh if, if you like it you know and you're into the world cup do give it a listen yeah well before we get dig into our side of football, how I always kind of open this up because we are punks on the pitch. We've got to get our music taste in there. Have you been listening to anything good recently, Chris? I have, yeah. So the main things that I've been listening to at the minute is um, Moon Tooth. Um, and, oh, sick! Yeah, and Microwave. Um, and then a band that was kind of like new to me is a band called Narrowhead. I've listened to them a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, their new record's really fucking sick. Yeah, I just. I don't know. There's something about that sort of like '90s sounding big, thick riff that um, appeals to me. So yeah. Yeah, their their new record uh, came out run for cover. I think people, I think it's one of those ones that kind of went under a lot of people's radar. So mm. yeah, definitely a lot of people should go check that out, especially if you like the new kind of like shoegaze revival sort of for sure sort of style yeah stuff. But yeah, cool. Right, and also. As mentioned, you are a fellow Portsmouth fan, <laughs> long su- long suffering. Oh, but yeah. things are kind of turning around. 
I don't know. Recently, they've been really good. I don't, yeah, I so... Don't know. I don't know what's going on. So a weird thing that I decided to do this season with Portsmouth is something that I called the Portsmouth FC betting challenge. So right. I place a £1 bet on every single Portsmouth league match, like a £1 okay. bet on them to win. And then the aim is to see at the end of the season if I actually make any money. I like That's a cool idea. Yeah. So um, winning four games out of the last five has really helped my averages. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, just in terms of like the the current sort of crop and the current season, I think like mm. when I had Steve on the show, obviously was kind of when we had us us a very slow start and poor start mm. to the season, and there was still the animosity off the backdrop of not getting the win in the playoffs, which I think stupidly as Pompey fans we'd kind of expected we would, and like as I said, like things have picked up. We've got a great win on the weekend against Sunderland, then. Yes, we're recording this on Wednesday, so Tuesday night, an incredible 4-0 win against Northampton. But what's your kind of feeling with the team at the moment? Like, I think for me personally, I think we're still going to, we're going to hit the playoffs. I think that's where we're going to end up. And I don't know whether it'll be third time lucky for Kenny Jacket. But like, what's your feelings? Do, Do you like Kenny Jacket? Do you think... The board were right to stick with him. Like, where's where's your head at at the moment? So, yeah, the the indifferent start to the season has, has and the playoff heartbreak has sort of thrown my um, perceptions of this team and my expectations sort of around quite a bit. I think, from the perspective of the manager, I don't feel like they had much of a choice but to stick with him um, because it's yeah. basically you know was there anything better available and they probably thought no. Um, I would argue that there are options, but they may be not. I think from the perspective of the team, I think that they've lost players and not replaced them. I think not properly replacing Christian Burgess is um, a, a, a you know a big weakness. Not mm. properly reinforcing the midfield after we lost Ben Thompson um, many moons ago. Um, and I think... You know, yes, they've made the the um, the signing of uh, Jordi Huula um, recently as a, as another striking option, but that's that's a panic buy, man. I mean, yeah, we're, we're short up top. Yeah, well, like even though like Marcus has obviously finally found his his shooting boots after a while, <laughs> but yeah, but like the, the big one for me, like yeah, I think I'd sort of accepted that Burgess was going, and I know mm. like. Okay, like Raggett's had his his critics, and he's kind of starting to show signs yeah. of what he was last year. Jack Warmore coming back has been amazing, mm. but like, yeah, we we didn't address the the defensive situation. The one that really got me, and like, okay, we've Harness has been incredible this season, but Gareth Evans going was was a big one for me. I I couldn't understand that, and I thought for a player that's been there for so long and has been instrumental in what we've done up until this point it kind of blew my mind that they were so ready and willing to let him go. Yeah, I think when you look at how the various sort of positions around the the wing and and centre of midfield have moved around, in a way I could understand it. Like It was like a head versus heart thing. Like My head kind of said, yeah, I get it, fair enough. He wants to play regularly football. He's not going to get that at Portsmouth. My heart was 
you know, it was gut wrenching. It was horrible. But you know, when you mm. see, you know, Michael Jacobs has come in and he can play. You know, either in the uh, on the right or the left or in the middle. Harness can play anywhere. Ronan Curtis believes that he can play in the middle, on the left, or up front. You know, so they've got they've got options, and it's really how much game time was was Gaza going to get? And the the, the yeah. reality is is that it may have been very little. Yeah. And obviously, with yourself being a Pompey fan, I think, like, again, when I had Steve on, we, we sort of spoke about, like, the the old Fortress Fran that obviously we're not kind of getting at the moment because there's no mm. fans and stuff. But for, for you personally, like, where does the kind of crossover of, like, uh, like the punk and music world and, and football sort of come into things? Like, as I, as I mentioned, for me personally, like, with Portsmouth specifically, it's that kind of, we're always the forever underdog and, and things like that and that that kind of mm. the relationship for me so what what's that kind of connection for you i think it's the relationship between a club and its fans and the impact that the the fan experience can have fratton park is known for being rowdy and the fans really close to the pitch and if you're an opposition player sort of running up and you know playing towards the fratton end and you've got this wall of noise hitting you that can be pretty menacing and there's something mm. about imagine going to a gig and it, and there being no audience there it wouldn't have the same vibe you go to a gig and you like watching any band you know from any genre if you've got a really like pumped up crowd and they're really into it and they're really sort of at one with you know like one with the artist sort of thing that that's just a really special moment i mean i remember a few years ago now going to see Norma Jean at the Joiners in Southampton yeah. And it was incredible, you know, the, how, you know, the Joiners is a, it's a relatively small venue and it has, and and, you, and you're really up close to, to the band and everything. And I think for me, it, it's there. It's it's that that connection between, you know, the artist or, or, or the, the players, the club, the fans, and, and that whole atmosphere that you get. Mm. And I think like, I'm sure there's many clubs across the country, but obviously my own experience, like that like sort of connection, especially with the Portsmouth players and fans, mm. is something that, like, obviously we've seen it over the years with the way that the club changed when it was community-owned, like the whole focus mm. on Pompey and the community and the stuff that the players do, not just on the pitch and, and for the team, but they do as they are very much integrated within the city as well. Mm. And, like, one example that I always think of, like, so back in the the years when we were in the Premier League, uh, me and my dad were season ticket holders at the North Stand, and whenever we were playing towards the Fratton end, Steve Stone was the right winger. He'd come over to the North Stand, and he like Steve Stone is like an, an antithesis of punk ethos for me anyway, just because he's like a little Rottweiler. Yeah. But he used to just come up to like the halfway line near where we sat, and he just before kickoff just be like come on just like shouting and getting the crowd mm. pumped up and it's that that as you say that connection that reciproc- reciprocation between the fans mm. and player which which is a massive part of it but yeah cool so also how like we've always kind of picked a, a player that we think embodies punk for our team and i think I don't know, like you might have the same one as Steve. I think there's one player that is in Portsmouth that embodies it, but I'm interested to see who do you think antithesizes punk for Pompey? 
Yeah, I mean, I listened to what what Steve said, and and you know, Herman Hardison was a, a really great shout. I I had a, a different one for for slightly different reasons, and it's um, Johnny Ertel. So oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So Johnny joined Portsmouth from Sheffield United when we were on our you know grand tour down to League Two, and <laughs> you know he had this. I don't. He had this like galvanizing spirit and attitude where he was able to sort of get everyone pumped up about you know th- this was when Portsmouth needed leaders on the pitch and he always put in a shift. He always grafted and tried his hardest. And then even at the point where the club had to cancel his contract, he didn't just stick two fingers up at the club and say, "Well, sod you then." He you know, joined the Portsmouth Trust and he was getting involved in that and he did academy coaching and, you know, he owes nothing to Portsmouth. He's Austrian, for Christ's sake. He could have just gone back to Austria and gone, well, you treated me poorly, but he mm. felt such a connection. Um, he was just like, no, I'm going to I'm gonna get involved and I'm, I'm not going to sort of go quietly, essentially, and I'm going to, you know, be that connection, that conduit between, you know, the club and the fans and everything. And, I, I, I really respected that. I think if you had to choose someone from the current squad, I'd probably go Ronan Curtis just because he doesn't give a shit. He just does whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah. He's got more talent in his little finger than half the league. So, yeah. <laughs> I respect it, does, that. it blows my mind that he's at Pompey, to be fair. Like, I think he should be playing at a higher level. But Oh, yeah, for sure. I think if, if we don't go up this season, he's gone. Yeah. But obviously... We're, we'll talk about other clubs, so listeners, don't worry, this isn't going to be completely <laughs> exclusive. But we're in a nice segue. We've been drawn against Ipswich in the FA Cup first round. Mm. Um, personally, I always like, with especially with the early rounds of the FA Cup, and I, I was talking to this with with my with my parents, like, the whole time I've been a Pompey supporter, I can't remember, like, admittedly for a a good chunk of that we were in like division one which is obviously now the championship or the mm-hmm. premier league so we were getting obviously third round ties so a lot of like the minor teams have been knocked out but i can never remember us getting drawn against like one of the non-league teams and like i don't know i always kind of wanted that to see like one of these minnows at fratton parks but i don't know like are you excited against a, a, a draw against Ipswich who we're going to be playing in the league anyway Oh, not in the slightest. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I wanted you know Molden and Tiptree or Concord Rangers or Tonbridge Angels. That that's what you want. That's what yeah. makes the FA Cup exciting. Is you know former winner versus non-league you know scrappy upstart and and to to draw against Ipswich kind of feels um, feels a little bit uh, deflating. I think. Um, yeah, yeah. What would have, that was what would my, have been my opinion watching it. Yeah, I think what would have been a really great draw, purely for for Stephen Hill, would have been um, if they'd drawn Woking. So, <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of that. See, my mind was going Eastley for some reason because then it would have been at least a Portsmouth Southampton connection. Mm, but. Yeah, but in terms of the FA Cup draw in general, like as always, there's always the romance of the first round, but unfortunately, we're not getting fans in the ground which is a pain in the ass because non-league clubs have been having fans at their at their matches at the moment but like in with the tie in general what what's your kind of view of it like are, are there any ones that kind of 
stick out to you as ones that you're going to be keeping an eye on? Uh, yeah, there's a couple actually. Um, Molden and Tiptree are playing Morecambe, and I think that that's you know it's a home tie. I know that there's no fans, but still, um, I think that one will be interesting. Um, and Swindon Town have drawn Darlington um, as they sort mm. of progress from you know going into financial obliteration and, and sort of coming back. So this is the the time of year where upsets happen and and you know i want some of these non-league teams to to go through and and you know i'll be rooting for the likes of darlington and chorley and woking yeah and i think like a, a club that we've mentioned previously and is, is sort of local to us having in waterlooville um getting cray valley which i think they put up um quite a funny tweet is I can't remember what the full name of Cray Valley is, but it's like a really long name. Mm. And they basically were like um, saying sorry to like final score and and um, <laughs> and and Soccer Saturday saying we're going to break your video printer, but like just because they're two teams with like really yeah, yeah. stupidly long names, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Um, but yeah, like I c- again, I c- is it? Skelma? Sk- sk- I can't say it. Skelmadale United. Oh, I know like, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, against Harrogate, that's that's one that's obviously stands out because they're the like still the like the lowest ranked team in it. Um, uh, Marine, I can't remember who they got now. Oh, call, yeah, Marine away to Colchester United, which again is it's like you want you want to root for that that underdog and like mm. me and so like, like Denali spoke about on the previous episode, like the the buzz that um, Chichester had when they had the bye last year to get into that second round, like just that excitement of seeing these, these teams that you otherwise never have heard of, unless you're like a true mm-hmm. football fan that like get their moment in the, in the limelight. And I think that's like, it's a shame that obviously, well, it's not a shame because we want everyone to be safe because of everything that's going on with COVID, but it's a shame that we're not maybe going to get necessarily the normal romance. I don't know. Like, what's your view? Like, do you think that it's going to have a big impact, not like these little teams not having their fans in the ground? Uh, I think so from from a financial perspective, um, but also, you know, the non-league team or smaller team sort of going further in the competition, the crowd can have a massive impact on, on how that goes. I mean, you know, as we already talked about the impact of the crowd, I think you only have to look at um, a few years ago, Salisbury got all the way through to the third round proper and face Sheffield United. They knew they were going to lose, but you know the the you know the little stadium and all the fans and everything. They made it difficult. They made it challenging. They made it unpleasant. And I think it is a shame that we're not going to have fans. And and you can only hope that more of these um, games get get chosen for for TV coverage and and hopefully some more of them on the BBC as well because you know that's you know shining a light on that's what the FA Cup. Is, is you know what makes it what it is is you know being able to draw attention to um, these the smaller teams and giving them you know attention and, and support mm. and i think as well like just on a kind of a bit of a broader subject is obviously the the whole kind of idea with fans coming back to the ground and there was a thing coming out today that old trafford have i know we're kind of going off the end of the scale now but Old Trafford have kind of said that they're putting measures in place to to allow fans back in. And as I mentioned earlier, like 
non-league teams have been having fans in the ground and it mm. seems to be working. But like from your perspective as someone who's been like watching football like obviously since the restart and things like that and obviously we're dying to get back into grounds but are you kind of becoming accustomed to it not because like for me personally like I'm kind of getting a bit used to it like, yeah. I don't know how you how do you feel um getting used to it but still never 100% used to it if that makes any sense yeah it's, yeah it was weird watching the champions league um across this week and last week and and you know this is supposed to be the premier footballing competition in Europe and there's no one there it's just a bit strange um perhaps this is just a um a temporary reality that we have to get used to for the next year or so um mm. I, I mean you know my old man works in the nhs and he's always said things will go back to normal it will just take time yeah and yeah it's it's just a matter of kind of how long that is because i i think mm. you mentioned obviously the champions league like there were some of the games that did have smatterings of fans, like uh, the Bayern Lokomotiv uh, Moscow match had some fans in there. Mm. So it's it's showing that it's doable. I I just think like I don't know. I think English fans are getting impatient because it's not happening here where it is help happening elsewhere. And like obviously we like not to get overly political, but fuck it. Like we've <laughs> we've seen like how shit they've been handling everything yeah. they're still opening pubs and, and enclosed spaces where you've got a stadium where things can be easily patrolled like they're used to controlling crowds they have stewards for that and it's in an open space it's outdoors mm. like it just doesn't seem to make sense to at least like I, I get at the moment like there's all these kind of like spikes in cases and whatever in various places across the country but like you think at least give it a go? I don't know. Like, well, there was a seems... really, yeah, there was a really good quote actually from Pete Winkleman, who's the like chairman, CEO, whatever of uh, MK Dons. He said, mm. you know, whatever it is that we need to do, tell us, and we'll just do it. If it's letting people yeah. in row by row, letting people out row by row, we will do that. Just let us do something. Yeah. No. And yeah, that's the thing. It, it's just I think the sooner it happens like the sooner people will be appeased and mm. we'll get back to some kind of semblance of normality. Um, but to segue again nicely to another topic that I wanted to bring up and I've talked to you, there were there was a crowd at a Dutch game recently in a very <laughs> unusual term. Um, this was, I'm going to botch the pronunciation of this, uh, Heravan? Heronveen. Heronveen, there we go. I'm so, I shouldn't do this podcast because I'm so <laughs> bad at pronunciations. But um, yeah, so Heronveen, they brought in 15,000 teddy bears into their, their stadium. And the reason was each teddy bear was meant to represent a child that suffers with cancer within uh, Holland or the Netherlands, whichever mm. you prefer to call it. Um, but after the game, which the, the teddy bears witnessed a 4-0 home win. So well done to the bears to see that. Um, but they were auctioned off for uh, this charity that the team had kind of collaborated with. And it raised uh, more than 275,000. Uh, no, 275, yeah, there we go. Got my figures right. Um, 
euros for the charity which is just phenomenal but yeah like when i said what was your kind of like reaction when you saw this uh at first i thought it was a little bit odd but then when i actually sort of like read into why it was done i mean if you're sitting there with empty stadiums you might as well do something positive with it there's so much negativity in the world not just because of covid i mean you know politically and around the world and all of that um i think it's a good initiative to you know to do that sort of thing and you know you've seen stuff around you know where you know people can sort of get pictures of themselves put in the in the crowd and everything and um and but but to, but for heronveen to be sort of forward thinking and, and use the the stadium for, for for charity is only a good thing and um you know good on them and, and long may it continue yeah and i think like I kind of hope this kind of spurs on other teams to kind of think outside the box and think like I don't so the the charity is is called Kika which mm. I don't know whether it's like a national charity or if it's something that's local to Heronveen mm. but I'd like to see like more more teams do it on a kind of a local scale and maybe supporting charities which are local within their community like and I understand like obviously we kind of saw when the whole kind of project's big picture thing was floated about like the the financial impacts that are being knocked on on teams themselves but at the same time they're still multi-million pounds like organizations like a lot of these teams mm. so you think like they've got a platform to do something of good and yeah this is just like a really nice unique way and i hope to see more teams do something similar and follow her and fiend's lead mm. but um the other thing like did you see the little video that they put up with it as well no oh, okay I need to watch so, that. I'm, so i'm i'm gonna put it in the episode notes but um it's basically like interspersed with like little highlights of the game and obviously whoever's operating the cameras and whatever have got like the the like the teddies reacting to like near misses and things like that and, it, and it's just it's fucking brilliant so nice. yeah I'll, I'll put it in the in the notes but people go go seek that out but yeah like kudos to her and veen um we're, we're we're gonna stick and stay in holland for a little while because i'm sure many people have have read about this but chris i'm going to give you the lead on this because we're doing our our punks and tories of the week but mm. in a in a different way because we've been away for for a week but i'm going to let you take the lead on this so go ajax uh, ajax beating vevevevenlo venlo 13 nil um fucking ridiculous i don't i don't really know where to start with it it's it's something you know, it's the, what the uh they beat the eredivisie scoring record um you know goals from all over the the pitch it's it's the next iteration of ajax you know producing brilliant young players um you know the the, the highlight guy i suppose was uh lucina traore um, yeah who's actually the brother of bertrand traore who chelsea fans may remember he was a youth team player there um who's current currently aston villa so the reason why lucina traore sort of for me caught the headlines is he so he graduated from Young Ajax last year, so just like the, their youth and reserve development squad. Um, and he wasn't thought of as like a regular starter this season. The plan was for him to go out on loan, um, mm. and he didn't for whatever reason. And he scored five goals and got three assists in this game. 
and it's he's 19 years old and it's just it's so stupid uh, yeah and you look at the you know i looked at the the starting lineup for for the squad and it's just littered with you know this like i say this next generation of talent you know there's a a center half that they've got um called lisandro martinez uh he's argentinian he's 22 he can play center half he can play center mid he can play defensive midfielder you know he's like a proper ball playing center half he scored you've got Ryan Gravenberch, who is uh, another 18-year-old wonder kid dubbed the new Pogba and Barcelona want him and all this sort of stuff. Um, you know, he got an assist. Um, it's just, it's a crazy scoreline by a crazy team. Um, and it makes it even better for me that Vovo Vovenlo is the current team of Lee Catamol. So seeing Lee Catamol <laughs> lose is always good. So <laughs> Yeah. He wasn't playing, but I still count it as you know. It's I still count it as a loss for him. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that I found kind of interesting, like obviously I saw the scoreline, so then obviously you had to seek out the highlights. Hmm. And okay, like yeah, it's a thirteen nil win, and they like they got a player sent off. I think it was on, on the fiftieth minute, but by that point they were already. I think it was six nil down. But... Yeah, I, d- I didn't even mention Michael Cum getting sent off. <laughs> brilliant i love football but like the the thing is this is gonna sound really stupid ajax didn't play like incredibly well like Mm. okay like they like every time they went forward they looked like they were gonna score but if you look at it apart from like maybe i think it's like two or three goals they're all pretty scrappy goals like they're not like these worldies and things like that so it just goes to show, like, that they've built, again, like, Ajax just have this knack of building these teams of these incredibly, like, good young players, but they're not all, like, flashes and flicks. They know mm. how to play the game. And I think that's what I, like, despite the glaring scoreline, that's what I took away from this, is that that they kind of dug in and got that result, even though, even though that sounds a weird sentence to say. Yeah, with a 13 nil scoreline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Also, I, think, um, I think that it's it's as much as Ajax were good, Venlo were bad. And that's what yeah. led to a 13 nil. It's, you know, like you say, it wasn't like every single goal was some world-class goal. A lot of it was shit defending, a goalkeeper that looked completely at sea. Um, oh, he looked so lost, didn't he? I feel for him. I really do. I genuinely, genuinely, I you know the the defense, you know they probably need a clip around the ear, but the the goalkeeper I fe- I felt for because he's got zero protection, and what can you do when you've got Axe coming at you in in waves? Yeah, and the thing that like another thing that I find quite funny is despite Ajax having this glorious sort of like train of of young players coming through hmm. they still got Dusan Tradic whacking in goals as well which yeah Klaasian like, Huntelaar fair... well yeah I I completely forgot he was still there to be honest hmm. like he's but they see he's a player that I think like didn't really fulfill his potential and hmm. like I'm glad that he's still got a place at Ajax and I think like obviously now he's more in that senior role like giving the kind of guiding hand to the likes of, of Traore and, and so on. But mm. yeah, it's nice to see that he was among the goals still as well. 
definitely. But um, I'm going to make a segue again. We're going to go. We'll we'll come back to Holland in a moment, but we'll stick with goalkeeping errors in some aspects. And mm. this is the the Tory of the week that I wanted to bring is uh, Bolton manager Ian Everett, who up until this comment I'd never heard of. I think he managed like a non-league team beforehand. Yeah, um, he he was got, at Barrow, I think. That was it. Yeah, um, and got them promoted and was kind of like of note with them. Um, but Bolton had had a bit of a shitty start to the season and they uh, he basically blamed their 20-year-old goalkeeper, uh, Billy Krellin, Krellin mm. I think, again, awful uh, pronunciations, but used the fucking horrible term of telling him to man up, which he's now come out and apologised for, but still, fuck this dude. Fuck for using that language. And like... I don't going back to the FA Cup. Did you did you watch the the draw live at all? I didn't. No. Um, it's one of those things that I like. I do like watching the draw, but um, I I didn't I didn't know where it was like being broadcast or whatever. Because in the back, yeah, in the good old days, it would be like after the six o'clock news or something, they'd have it on or be on final score on Saturday or something. So I, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know where it was being shown. No, that's the only reason I bring it up was was because he this in. A, Averett was was on there mm. and you had all the other like non-league managers you had um the dude from fc united of manchester you had the guy from chorley um and various other ones and then he was there just and like because i'd already read this story about him telling the keeper to man up like i'd already had a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth but he turned up on the screen like the only manager in a suit all the rest of them are in trackies and he just came across like a fucking dick and I'm like, oh, mate, I don't like you already. And, uh, yeah, I just think, like, to shit on your keeper who's 20 years old, I just thought, yeah, like, it's just a fucking idiot. I don't know. I don't know like, am I, am I blowing this out of proportion? Absolutely not. And there's two reasons <laughs> for this for me. Because when I heard this, um, I was really, really um, angry about um, Ian Everett responding in this way and treating his his keeper in this way so there's there's two things there's one if you want a keeper to not make mistakes don't sign a 20 year old keeper from fleetwood who has only had footballing experience in non-league and expect Mm. him to be perfect every single game because if you wanted an experienced keeper you could assign some sort of 38 year old you know ex-wigan keeper or something or you know whatever but instead you've got you've got young billy he's trying his best um so give him a break don't dig him out on national radio the other thing so in ever telling his keeper to man up in a week where a former manchester city youth player jeremy whitson took his own life after being released by manchester city like how much of an insensitive asshole can you be when people are trying to build these young players up and look after their mental health and look after their well-being. You've literally got a kid down the road in Manchester who has taken his own life because he's been released by Manchester City and you're on the local radio saying, oh, he needs to man up. Like, no, just, just completely unacceptable. And when you saw the social media reaction... I saw someone say, these are the comments that are made by um, a manager who's um, not going to be there for much longer because they're probably going to be um, 
be sacked. And yeah. would, Bolton won't do it because you know they they feel that he's a, a quality manager for this level. But um, if I was the chairman of a club, I'd either be saying pack your bags or this is last chance saloon. Yeah, and the thing is, like as I say, he's now come out and, and apologised. But I think if it wasn't for the day and age that we live in, with the the life of social media mm. and the, the the backlash that it kind of got, like I think even th- like five years ago, like this wouldn't get the like the repercussions that it did today because of like everyone's a lot more sort of educated on mental health and things mm. like that, and. I think back in the day, this would have gone very under the radar, but because of how public it was and how much like like anger there was to this, mm. I think that's why he's apologised. And yeah. it doesn't feel sincere to me. And yeah, it's like, I think if he could have got away with it, he would have. Oh, for sure. That's, that's I mean, my kind of feeling. He made it even worse as well. And the end of his statement, the original thing that he said on the radio, he said something like, oh, my team deserved to win today. So he's placing the loss entirely on the shoulders of this young keeper. And that's just not fair. It's a team game. You are a manager. You've selected the team. If your defenders haven't been good enough, if your midfield hasn't been good enough, then you need to take them all aside and, gay- and, and say to them, guys, this wasn't good enough. We need to do better next week. You can't pin it all on one person. That's just not fair. No, and... I, I saw something that um, Bolton played. Who did they play yesterday? I can't remember. But it, the, um, I'm butchering his name. I'm sorry. Krellin? Krellin. Mm. Uh, he saved the penalty in that game. So everyone's like, oh, that's his response. But no, that's just him doing his job at the end yeah, of exactly. the day. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm killing segues today. Segwaying <laughs> to another, another goalkeeper. Um, and like kind of tying in the whole sort of mental health thing as well. A nice mm. sentiment from um, the Leicester City women's goalkeeper, Kirsty Laval. Um, she wears the number 28 and she's recently did an interview. Well, I saw it on the BBC. I'm not sure if that's the original source, but mm. um, kind of saying why that number has such significance to her. Um, and it's the date that coincides with her mother's birthday and the also the death of her brother as well, who was also uh, a young footballer. Um, so it's the 28th of September is is the significance of the date. But she said she wanted to, when she moved to live, uh, not Liverpool, sorry, Leicester, um, she wanted to get the, the number 28 shirt because it had this special feeling to her. And she says like every time she puts on the shirt, it reminds her of her brother who, um, he, he died of a heart attack, but he was diagnosed mm. with bowel cancer as well, which is really, really sad. Um, but yeah, I just thought like in stark contrast to the shit that Everett said, like this was a really nice thing. And I love, I love seeing these stories. Like this is a side of football. I love is seeing Mm. the personality of the player and the reason they're doing it and, and things like this. And like, I don't think we see enough of this in the women's game. We're starting to see more because we're getting to know these players a bit more with the more publicity they're getting. But yeah, this was a really cool story. So that's why I wanted to kind of put it to you. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, when you read the interview, it is it's pretty heart-wrenching. But um, I think something that is also worth highlighting is, is you know, her, her brother, you know, obviously passed away. She was at Everton at the time. She joined Leicester this summer. 
Um, in 2019, her dad was diagnosed with mouth cancer as well. So it's this, oh my mm. God, it's this feeling of, I can't lose another family member. But um, Everton were really, really good with the whole Lavelle family. You know, they were really supportive of, of Kirsty and, and gave her all the support that she needed. They gave the families the support that they needed. Um, so I think that's incredibly commendable for the club as well. Um and and also for Leicester City by you know honouring her her wish of having that shirt and and what it means to her, um, so mm. I think like you say it's the it's the side of football that you want to be reading about. Um, obviously, the reasons why we're reading about it are utterly heartbreaking. But um, for for those two clubs to really support um, her and the and the family, I think um, is an incredible thing. Mm. And I think like with Leicester as well being quite. Uh... A family orientated club as well. I, I I know obviously we've mentioned obviously that Everton kind of especially at the time were were sort of really supportive and things like that. But I think like if you're a fan of that club and you and you read this story and you hear about that, like this might sound kind of cynical in the way that it's approached in terms of like the financial side of things, but you might feel a connection with with Kirsty's story. So then you might buy a goalkeeper shirt and you might get 28 Laval on the back of it. Like, mm. it's it's that connection to having that connection, kind of going back to what we were saying with Pompey, like mm. the connection with the players and the fans. And it's just like, I don't know, like, and especially, again, going to the world of social media, like you might get people that have gone through a similar experience to her reaching out to her and saying, mm. thank you for for sharing this story and it, it 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 builds like a whole circular network and i think yeah i i just i like this is why i love the side of football that like when you get that sort of deeper insight into a player why they're doing it yeah. and things like that so yeah i, I, just thought I, this was I really agree cool. and I, I think it's it's good from a journalistic perspective for you know news outlets you know the bbc shining a light on this sort of thing and telling these stories as well Mm. And we'll kind of stick with the, the women's game because uh, obviously recently they've had their latest round of Euro qualifiers. And this is why I said we're going to take a trip back to, to Holland because obviously they're the holders, they're qualified as well. But it also brings me to who I'm going to pick, pick as my punk of the, of the week, even though it was technically last week, but I wasn't here, so I'm going to say that. Um, but Vivian Miedemar leading mm. against the Dutch to a six. Well, she got her goal in the 90th minute, but a six nil win for them in the league. But she recently surpassed the WSL's goal scoring record, which is a fucking, I, I knew she scored a lot of goals, but I didn't realize the rate she's since joining Arsenal. She's played 50 games and scored 52 goals. It's just like for any striker, that's just fucking insane. So that, that's yeah, a like, return on investment. <laughs> yeah man definitely and like but just in terms of like the women's qualifiers obviously like scotland's had their first defeat they've been doing quite well Mm. uh in terms of the home nations obviously like northern ireland's got a good win against belarus Mm. um but yeah like i'm gonna bring this to you from your international perspective i know you're kind of more focused on world cups and and things like that but like i don't know like have you kind of found a more of an interest in like the women's game internationally because we're starting to see these exciting like because that's what I love about World Cups is you mm. find these players that you otherwise would never have heard of and like 
for me, that's the whole woman's game at the moment. So to see all these international women as well is just kind of really exciting. Yeah, I think there are a few of the sort of women's teams that I like to keep an eye on um, that play really good football. The, the Netherlands are absolutely incredible. I mean, that, that game against Kosovo, they won 6-0, 26 shots to nil. I mean, it was as dominant as it could possibly be. <laughs> yeah. Um, I always actually really like watching Italy. I mean, as anyone who listens to, to our show will know, um, I'm a bit of a fiend for Italian football um, yeah. and Italian players. So the Italy team um, are actually quite strong. They have a lot of good players from um, Juventus and Roma in there. Um, and, and they lost 3-1 to Denmark, which is really impressive for Denmark. Um, and, you know, worthy of note. I think that in the women's game, there are a lot of the sort of like the Denmark team, Sweden team, Norway um, they're they're all packed full of brilliant talent. Um, mm. You know, obviously England and France uh, are pretty good as well. But um, it, it's those sort of other emerging teams that are are interesting to watch. And I, for me, the Netherlands play some of the most um, interesting. It's like watching seventies Netherlands at, at times. It's, it's brilliant. It's just so entertaining. Yeah, and like you mentioned, those like Scandinavians, like all three of them have now sort of booked their spots for for the Euros. So, like I know they do it in the men's game, but I think it kind of goes a little more under the radar, especially with the like. I know at the moment Norway have got this kind of resurgence of young players coming through, mm. but the Danes always seem to, especially in the men's game, seem to be a team that kind of slide under the radar a little bit. But it's, I think it's really interesting to see in the women's game that they're kind of like the rising forces these like yeah. these three nations like they're coming up hot on the heels of the likes of holland and the usa which i think is really exciting to see mm. yeah and another really good one in the in the women's euros um this week actually was <laughs> belgium beat lithuania 9-0 <laughs> 9-0 yeah. um and what made it worse was Lithuania went go down to ten, and then they scored two own goals. So you, I just really felt for them because they, they really didn't help themselves. <laughs> it's it's kind of like they're like, well, we've shot ourselves in the foot. We may as well just cut the head off, kind of thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. Right before we we move on, there was one more point of news that I brought to the table that is a bit of a negative note. Um, but it's something that we've touched on the show before. And I think every time it comes up, we need to shout about it because it needs to be stamped out. And it's especially for a kid that is 17 fucking years old. Um, this is the story of a Spanish journalist comparing uh, Ansu Fati to a quote-unquote black street vendor, which, again, similar to Ian Everett earlier, has now backpedaled and said that it was meant to be praise but i don't get how the fuck you can use that term in praise but yeah like racism stepping into the game again but to be directed at a 17 year old who is taking the world by storm it's just fucking insane but like yeah i don't i don't have the words and, and i'm just gonna get angry otherwise but like when we mentioned this before like with the like stuff going on with mason greenwood like it's all these young black players, all these young players of colour that seem to be targeted by the media. And I just don't get it. I just, yeah. No, I agree. And I think 
What's even worse for me is that when I read about this, I wasn't surprised because this sort of shit happens in Spain all the time. The Spanish oh, media yeah. will do, you know, let's call it what it is. There are racists working for Spanish newspapers in the sport columns and they will go out of their way to pull down black players doing well. Um, yeah. Even the apology that this reporter... Um, you know, as you mentioned, the apology that he put out was just completely, you know, crazy. He said that he was attempting to praise the beauty of Antu's movements and was deeply sorry for any any misunderstanding. It's like, <laughs> it's misunderstanding? You're a thick-headed racist, you know. Go back into your, you know, gammon wagon. I mean, it's <laughs> just... It just blows my mind that... And it's frustrating, like, as you say, to have to deal with this and and talk about this all the time but it has to be mentioned it has to be pe- these people have to be called out for for what they are and for what they're saying and that it is completely unacceptable and you know when you've got you know the world sports media already putting tons of pressure on Ansu Fati calling him the next Messi and all this sort of stuff um he doesn't need to be brought down by these thick-headed journalists and I know Barcelona are uh, in a state of transition, shall we say? Um, but yeah. I, would, I would hope that the club are, you know, providing him the the support that that he needs um, around all this. Yeah, and I think like the good thing is that obviously one of the higher profile players, Anton Griezmann, is like he immediately yeah. sort of came out and was like, "This is fucking unacceptable. Like, you should be." respecting this player like like any other player but as, as you mentioned like it's not just the spanish media like spain in general for as lovely as some of the people that i know there are like it does have an issue with racism mm. and like we've seen it like in the past at games like players getting monkey chants and things like that and it's just like it's something that obviously us two people talking now on a podcast aren't going to change but it's the wider issue of like how can systemic racism in a nation as big as spain change if you're seeing something in their game where one of their biggest profile clubs is having their arguably brightest talent right now mm-hmm. being sconed and it's just like how the fuck do we change that it's just something needs to happen on a higher level and yeah. run all the way through but i don't know it's, it's an angry ginger, an angry ginger guy over here is not going to want to change the world is he well and an, an angry ginger guy sitting here as well you know so uh, <laughs> i think um meza Urzil actually described it quite well a few years ago he he always said you know when when i do well and when i win i'm german when i lose and when i play pa- badly they they say that i'm turkish and i'm i'm an immigrant yeah. like that and and it's those kind of attitudes and perceptions that you know um, that that have to be stamped out, and and it has to be a a cultural thing. It's like if we see it, we have to call it out. Um, if we you know um, if we witness it, we have to you know stand up for people. And and I think that's that's the change and the impact that that we as individuals can make. Mm. And before we do move on, just briefly, because you mentioned it, obviously Barcelona in a kind of a a weird transition sort of period. But obviously in the last couple of days, they've announced that their president has stand has uh, stood down. Sorry, 
um, which is something that was kind of a big like factor in the whole messy thing that kind of happened over the summer. Um, just very briefly, what do you think's kind of next for for Barca at the moment? Like, they're obviously still going to be a massive club, but do you see an instant change in in their fortunes? Do you think things will settle for them, or is this kind of going to be a weird transition year for them? Uh, this year, I think, will be a transition year, but I think what they will do now is put in place a new board, a new president. They will set some medium and long-term goals, um, get back to what they do best, um, and go from there. I think I think the problems at Barcelona will take time to resolve, um, and they it's worth keeping an eye on. Adult with a good ball. And Miedemar's got Ford in the middle. Oh, she didn't need it. And Vivian Miedemar makes WSL history. Now the league's all-time top scorer as she brings up her half-century. Um, for regular listeners of the show, they will know that we like to praise the underdog, put a spotlight on either an unknown team or a non-league team or a lesser-known team and just kind of talk about them for a little bit. Um, so each week we're asking our guests to bring a team to the table so chris who are you bringing to the table i am bringing gosport borough um the the club that live in the shadow of pompey <laughs> so when you said that i kind of like i got your point but arguably i think having a Louisville are that team but mm. for the, for gosport fans they, they probably think this them and ha- them and hawks are on a similar level but mm. yeah so what what's your kind of affiliation with Gosport and why did you kind of want to speak a bit more about them? I think the reason why I wanted to sort of bring Gosport to the table is, um, the, and the reason why I describe them as sh- living in the shadow of, of Portsmouth is not so much the football club but the city. So yeah, Gosport is what the largest town or you know place in Europe that doesn't have a train station. If you want to get to Gosport, you either have to drive there or you get the train to Portsmouth Harbour and then you get the Gosport ferry. So it's not an easy place to get to. It's not... You no. Know, but, and but, and dri- driving in is literally one road and if there's <laughs> any anything happens on that road, you're fucked. Yeah, you're buggered, yeah. So I think that it is its own place. It is its own football club. They, it has its own history and tradition. And I think that for the place of Gosport, you know, living in the shadow and, and the, the football club, um, you know, somewhat living in, in Portsmouth FC's um, uh, shadow, you know, it does have its own history. It does have its own tradition, um, you know, players, managers, people that have come through there. I mean, traditionally as well, what you see is a lot of youth team players who, who don't make the grade at, at Portsmouth go on to have perfectly fine careers in the lower leagues at clubs mm. like AFC Porchester, Chichester City, Salisbury, um, having a Waterlooville and Gosport. I mean, there's countless number of, I remember when Portsmouth were in the league two days and, you know, we were releasing youth team players left and right because we couldn't afford them. And they all ended up at, at, at Gosport or they were sent there on loan and whatever. So it, it has, it has value to, you know, the local footballing economy and it has its own as i say history and tradition and everything and um yeah just i think it i think it deserves more respect 
Yeah. And I think like for for me, I kind of I've mentioned this before, but when I um when I used to work for the news, like Gosport and Haven were the sort of like two bigger quote unquote bigger non league teams that mm-hmm. we'd kind of cover. So having to having gone to Privet Park on numerous occasions and covered their games a few times, like I think like they were a different well, they still are, but they're a different beasts compared to Hawks. Like Hawks kind of had like a more of a they were kind of like the Pompey Mark two in terms of like <laughs> If no no no, I mean in terms of like if Pompey no, had like away it. game, you could, <laughs> and you couldn't go to the mm. the away game for Pompey, you'd go see Haven and Warleyville. Whereas you as you say, like Gosport was his own thing, and mm. like the people who were Gosport fans, they were Gosport fans. They maybe not even follow Portsmouth, and like one of the things that I found really interesting is that only up until. I think two years ago, like when their kind of financial issues sort of became a bit better, mm-hmm. that Alex Pike, who was their manager for twelve years, like that's fucking nuts. Like for any level of football, yeah, it's unheard. Of. Like to have a manager for for twelve years, like he finally got the sack. But I always remember he was like, for even at, like for any football manager, like for having doing a post match like interview with the press is always going to be tough after a loss mm. but he was one that like if they lost like I dreaded talking to because you knew he would just give you like one word answers and like he just was the most difficult person to deal with but yeah I thought it was quite funny um have you ever gone to Privet Park have you ever been to any of the games I haven't it's somewhere that uh that I do I do want to go to um you know, for a couple of reasons, you know, one, because I, I like going to non-league football. I like supporting non-league clubs. Um, it's it's a it's one that I haven't been to before. So, you know, it's like on, on the list. Um, but also, like, I have this weird affinity with it because um, if ever I'm doing like a new game of football manager, I'll choose Gosport and be like, how far can I get Gosport? And I remember, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember on one save, I won the Champions League with Gosport. And it was like... Fucking hell, that's incredible. It took me a long time. Let's just put it that way. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think the, the other interesting connection with between um, Gosport and Portsmouth is that um, it's owned now by the former Portsmouth chairman, um, yeah. Ian McKinnis. Um so you know there is that sort of you know the the, uh, the relationship continues. You know after exiting from Portsmouth, he he's sort of bought bought Gosport and um, trying trying to set you know get them up the leagues. Yeah, and I think like again to keep that kind of connection sort of going. So it, when you said that you were bringing Gosport to say, I, I knew obviously a little bit about them, but I, I dug a little bit deeper mm. and. Um, so they had this kind of like financial crisis in the like 2015 2016 season like and it kind of edged into the beginning of the 16 17 one um but they had like players leaving because they weren't getting paid and like uh, i think alex pike for, for at one point even like played the players out of his own pocket and things mm-hmm. like that um but when mckinnis first kind of came in in the transition sort of to change things over so pike got the sack from the um previous like chairman then mckinnis came in bought pike back and he's 
did shit, so then fired Pike again. But the person who came in as interim manager, who I, I didn't realise this, but I thought was fucking hilarious, was former Pompey striker Rowan Vine. No. Who, yeah, he was player manager for like a, a period of time, which I thought was hilarious. Wow. i genuinely didn't know that that's incredible yeah so i thought that was a a nice little pompey connection there as well um but also the other thing that i wanted to kind of bring up with them is so for anyone that follows non-league football they will know you get these gem of players that like they will either because they're they're part-time or they've either had like big injuries so they can't do full-time things or they just never made it at the higher level but they just thrive in non-league football Mm. um gosport had one of these and he antithesized that club for a long period of time and again this was when i was working at the news and you could guarantee every saturday every either tuesday or wednesday whenever they're playing the name justin bennett would appear on the score sheet and like again digging into this a little bit deeper i can't remember how long he was actually at the club but i'm i'm going to get you to guess how many goals do you think he scored for gospel borough uh okay so if he's if he's kind of a bit of a you know club hero like one club man uh, or something i'm going to go i i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to say he hit a century 263 goals not bad yeah okay fair enough <laughs> that's f- like <laughs> that's that, incredible so yeah so round of applause justin bennett like i'm not sure if he's still playing or if he i think he went to bognor regis for a little bit after because so he was one of the players that left mm. during the financial thing because they could just couldn't pay him um so yeah i think he went to bognor for a little bit i'm not sure if he's still knocking around but yeah that's a phenomenal score rate at any level and that's that's one of those brilliant non-league stories, isn't it? You know, having those um, those players that through thick and thin, you know, stick around, and um, you know, there, there's a, f- a few players in the in the history of Italian football that that do that have done that sort of thing. You know, the people that have done you know 19 seasons into Milan or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. At, at any level, it's um, it's a really it's a really great story for for the fans and and for the club. Yeah. And just to kind of bring things up to, to current standards, they're playing this weekend in the FA Vars, I think it is. It's one of the iterations of the yeah. FA thing that they have in non-league. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye on what they do on the weekends and best of luck that they have a cup, cup run. It's Justin Bennett being played through. Fixing over the keeper, he's in number 200. Yes, he is! That is an absolute landmark! Justin Bennett has made it three, but more importantly... Goal number 200 for Justin. So this is quickly becoming my favourite part of the show, despite me running and raving about the beautiful game. But it's our fantasy booking of bringing musicians onto the pitch, exactly what the show says on the tin, punks on the pitch. Um, How we always start. Chris, have you got a name for your team? Men behaving Chadley. (laughs) Fucking hell. Yeah, I'm proud of that. <laughs> I I didn't know where you were going with that first, but I like it. Cool. <laughs> right. Uh, do you have formation? 
I do. I've gone for a four one two two one. So it's a, a, a flat back four with a central defensive midfielder, then two centre midfielders in front, a left winger, a right winger, and a centre forward. Right. Okay. Cool. Right. So as always, we start between the sticks. Who have you got in goal? <laughs> Max Cavalera. Oh, right. Before we go into this, I'm surprised he hasn't come up yet because, like, so full disclosure, at some point I want to get, like, somebody who's involved in either the world of football who has affiliation with punk or whatever. And he is, like, God tier best <laughs> that I want on this show. So, but yeah, sorry, I interrupted. Matt's no, no, no. Uh, so I've gone for him because um, he's obviously very experienced. Um, mm. and he's a, a good communicator. You know, he knows how to bark at a defence and all of that sort of stuff. Roots! Bloody roots! <laughs> Go on! Um, so I've gone for Matt Cavallera. Um, I would I would trust him. Yeah, and qu- again, quickly before we move on to your back four, um, so I can't remember who did the song originally, but Sol- so for anyone who doesn't know who Matt Cavallera is, go fucking do your homework. <laughs> yeah, But... Um, like both in Sepultura and Soulfly, they did like Brazilian football merch, and um, the first Soulfly album has a cover song, which is is called Umba Umba Umba, which I don't know what the fuck that means, but it's it's a South American football song, and they just have that on the middle of their debut record, which I think is fucking Legends. rad. Yeah. Yeah. But right, cool. So who's Max barking orders at? Who's your back for? Um, right, so I'm going to start from the left. So at, at left back, I've got George Pettit from Alexis on Fire. Right, nice. Uh, because um, he's spindly, and I think that he could run. You know, you watch it. You you watch Alexis on Fire live, and you see George running around the stage like a madman. He's got an engine <laughs> on him, and that's what you want from, yeah. from, from a fullback. Yeah, that's cool. I get that. Uh, and then uh, at, at centre half, and you know you'll you'll have to forgive me because some of these choices are quite similar to those of Matt Hughes, but um, I've gone for Andy Williams of Every Time I Die. He's pa- he's right. So carry on. <laughs> Partnered with Till Linderman of Ramstein. Oh, that's juicy. I like that. I know he's not a punk, but he's massive and he's scary and he's a sort of goth prince. And I just I think that. Two absolute towering, lumbering centre-backs. Yeah, that's what I've gone for. Just power, sheer power. So Andy Williams has now surpassed Henry Rowlands. So between him, (laughs) between Andy Williams and Henry Rowlands, they seem to be common threads of of defenders at the moment. And I'm, again, with like Max Cavalera, I'm hope I know he, he, he might like football, I don't know. But I'm hoping if he appears enough in people's teams, he's gonna come on this show. Fingers crossed. So, so yeah, and yeah, having Tillemans as well. Like, as you say, like, I, uh, uh, Ramstein may be more in that metal world, but they're they're definitely punk. And oh yeah, he's Just, a he's a scary you, motherfucker. You can't go around with you know um, flamethrowers on stage and say, well, you know. They they don't take metal very seriously, and that's what I like about Ramstein. They they sort of you know put a middle finger up to all of the oh this is what a metal band's supposed to be. They're like now nah, we'll do whatever we want. So um, yeah. yeah, and I but, think hit, like having him and Andy Williams as the, as your centre backs, like 
it's it's not just going to be like painful mm. but like creatively painful <laughs> yeah. As well. yeah yeah tables ladders and chairs and all sorts uh, yeah. yeah cool who have you got on the right uh right back i i, I threw a bit of a curveball in. i've put dustin from thrice in there um, oh, okay because i want a calm level-headed player uh, somewhere in my team and, and why not have one but uh, at right fullback um so yeah. i figured he will bring some some calmness to the chaos that surrounds him so i've gone for for dustin cool right so he's he's sitting i mean i, I don't feel like you need the anchor man with that with that center part center defense ah, partnership well but, I, i've but... gone for, i've gone for someone in the perlo role so pure, ah, okay. pure creativity can dictate the play. I've gone for Jamie Lenman. Oh, okay, so this, so last time he appeared, he was our manager. So now mm. he's on on the pitch. So I'm, I'd be interested to see how. Yeah, I get the creative aspects, but and also like the cool, calm demeanor. So mm. yeah, I get, I he's get Perlo. Jamie Lenman in that. He's role. punk Perlo. Yeah, so <laughs> punk Perlo. <laughs> Then my uh, yeah. my two central midfielders, I've gone for Frank Carter from Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes and Gallows. Yeah. Um, and Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, like, so this is not disparaging to either of them. Both kind of small stature, stature men. Yep. But very kind of rapid and aggressive and kind of... I imagine them both being... Like not to cancel each other out, but I'd imagine them being both kind of kind of Paul Scholes esque. Yeah, I kind of want Frank Carter to be the one that goes forward, and Corey Taylor to be the one that's got a bit, get, bit, few more miles on the clock, who can just sort of um, stay still and and you know uh, control the the you know the space that that Frank leaves. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough, and I think like I don't know if they they must have come into like contact with each other at some point so i'd imagine they they probably bounce off each other quite well as Mm. in in real life as well to be honest yeah on on the uh on the left wing i've gone for jamie morgan from code orange oh because yeah again i think that um you know you, you see the amount of sweat that he puts in with a single gig God knows how he must feel at the end of a tour, and the guy's ripped to all hell. So um, yeah, yeah. He, he's going to be. He's got a good engine on him. I'm also getting like, like a terrifying vibe from your team. At the oh moment. yeah, like yeah. I would not want to meet these people on a pitch. I'd say it's heavily inspired by um, like mid '90s Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah. I've gone crazy gang with this. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. Right. Continue. On the, on the right wing, I've put Sam Carter from Architects because A, he can play. Um, and again, great engine on him, creative. I just think that he'd enjoy, and he's a Man United fan, so I think he'd really enjoy playing in like the Ronaldo role. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, I can get that. And again, like I, I don't know personally, but I've heard that he is quite quite the footballer himself as well so i don't yeah. i'd be interested to see what position he actually plays in real life but. Mm. yeah but i thought i'd you know you know he can wear a man united shirt and you know play on the right wing like the greats did so uh yeah L- live out that fantasy yeah and up top i've kind of gone 
um <laughs> it's a it's a weird one but let me explain so i've gone for <laughs> okay. peter Steele from typo negative I mean that's not a weird one at all because he's, you've got he's, a, you've got the sexiest man in metal playing up front. He's my Peter Crouch. <laughs> he, I've got a big man up top that you can just put the ball on his head and he'll just head it in. So I've just gone for Peter Steele because he's incredible and he's absolutely massive. So he's he's my Peter Crouch. And you, you've as I said, you've bought the sex appeal. Like you've got all these <laughs> ang- you've got these angry rough houses in mm. the middle of the park and then you've got this man with glorious long hair who just is oozes sex appeal banging in your goals he's your poster boy yeah right i don't know who the fuck you're gonna have managing this team but who's who's gonna control him um so i've gone down the uh i've stayed down the pure aggression route and i've gone for tom Araya from slayer um because yeah. I wanted someone who is not afraid to speak his mind and is kind of like Neil Warnock-esque in terms of communicating <laughs> from the touchline. So... I, just bark, yeah, he's barking. Yeah, yeah. T- Tom Araya. Uh, you might not agree with everything he, he says. I, mean, I certainly don't, but um, he's, he's my Neil Warnock. He'll get results. You might not agree with everything that he says, but he'll get results. I he, mean, has, he has some questionable views, but he did, you know, do Rain in Blood, so, you know. <laughs> balance yeah i guess I yeah don't know. fair and the more people are coming up with these teams the more i'm fucking loving them and like i wasn't expecting i mean i was expecting some repeats but like the way that people are repeating the players like they're giving them different reasons which i'm really mm. enjoying um and yeah i don't know i think like by the end of the season i'm gonna have to come up with some kind of like ultimate team or something like that i don't know you're but... gonna have to do a league table see how many players have appeared certain times and uh yeah who, who's who the most popular player from all of oh, that's but... a, yeah that's a good idea and like i don't know send try and send them a present or something <laughs> <laughs> cool perfect right chris thank you very much for for joining me this has been a a, a good laugh um as I say, got got need returns uh, on Monday. But is there anything else you want to shout out, or anything else you want to kind of talk about in regards to the podcast, or anything else you've got coming up? Uh, just play out Pompey. Just just that. Just play out Pompey. <laughs> just just, just forever. That. Play out Pompey. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It's been brilliant.